Hey friends, and welcome back to this week's episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. I'm your non-diet dietitian, trainer, and host Katie, and this is episode 230. We are doing a series of client spotlight interviews where I have invited former clients of mine to come on the show. In case you're new here, I have a private practice based out of Indianapolis, Indiana, where I work with clients both virtually and in person. I truly believe there's so much power in listening to the stories of others, and there's so much that we can learn. Yes, you can read the intuitive eating book and go through the 10 principles, but the reality is that there are so many nuances. It's not a knowledge deficit, and it's not a matter of willpower. Your experience around food, your body, it's all unique to you. Dr. Hartwell is a trauma and critical care surgeon in Indianapolis. She and her husband have four children, ages 12 to 21. Today, you have the treat, really, of hearing her story. We'll discuss some of the challenges around a non-diet journey, especially as a working woman and a mom, and also explore ways to support self-care during tough times. All right, on to the show. Welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour, a podcast about all things nutrition, fitness, and life in your 20s and 30s all from a non-diet lens. I'm your host, Katie Hake, and I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and certified personal trainer. Join me here every week as I talk with interesting people and experts from all walks of life about their relationship with food and their bodies. I'll also share my experience working with clients in my private practice to help women find food freedom and body confidence. I'm on a mission to help you stop quantifying and start living learn to stop measuring your success by the scale and find your fears. Jen, I am so happy to see your face. Number one, it's been a minute, but thank you so much for being here on the podcast on this, this Friday afternoon at the time of this recording. Yeah. Thanks a lot for inviting me. I really appreciate it. It's good to see you too, Katie. So Gosh, I feel like there's so many places that we could begin that we could start, you know, for listeners. I obviously know you fairly well. We've worked, you know, fairly closely. And so tell our listeners, just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, the different hats that you wear. Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Jen Hartwell, and I'm a trauma and acute care surgeon. So that means I take care of patients who have been involved in an accident or they're otherwise injured, or I take care of patients who need emergency surgery. And I take care of patients in the um, surgical ICU. And I also have a couple of leadership roles in my organization. So pretty busy, kind of a high stress job. And uh, I've been doing this for about 10 years now. Just a little busy, just just a little stressful. (laughs) Just a little busy. (laughs) So obviously, you know, we've, we've worked together, right? So maybe let's just start from the beginning, you know, what was food like for you growing up? Yeah, food was always a central part of our family gatherings. So very in tune family to making meals important. And uh, sometimes food was a comfort food. Definitely a lot of family moments that were especially, you know, celebratory or even stressful moments revolved around food. You know, I have parents who were you know, very loving and attentive, and my mom was a home economics teacher, so she had a, a good background in, in understanding food and was 
very attentive to uh, our needs as as kids. So a pretty healthy respect for for food. I don't think that there was anything too unusual really about about my relationship with food as a kid. Felt felt pretty standard comparing to other kids. Nothing stuck out looking back. I don't think so. Not particularly. No. What about what about movement? What was fitness or movement like for you growing up? Were you active? Were you not? Yeah. So my brother and I are both athletes and played uh, high school sports. Uh, neither of my parents were athletes. So I think that that is something that my parents were totally supportive and encouraging of us in our endeavors for athletics, both organized sports and individual self-motivated activity. And I think that they just weren't really sure how to like live that with us because that was not their lived experience. But certainly they were very supportive of being active. But I think partly because my parents weren't athletes that I kind of created my own pathway about what it means to be an athlete. And then I, once I stopped playing high school sports, I really dove into self-directed movement and I really got into running and that comes into play later in life. But yeah, really got into running. Yeah. And I think that's so relatable for, for many, many people, many people look back and sometimes we're, we're told like it all starts in childhood, right? Like all these, these narratives that you, you create, but you just brought up such a good point that a lot of times we create our own narrative. Like yeah, you kind of look yeah. back and it's hard to pinpoint where did this come from? You know, where, where was the turning point? So for you, how was it that food, that story with food and fitness, how did that evolve? It sounds like post high school. Yeah, definitely. I think in college is where I really saw a significant focus on body image. And that was, you know, driven by being in a dorm full of other young women and, you know, all of a sudden meeting people outside of my typical little cocoon world in the small town where I grew up. And I really, I think, opened my eyes to a different worldview about the way women see their bodies and the value of body image and food and exercise. And, and that was a little bit of a whole new world for me um, as uh, entering college. And I think that that definitely played a role in my relationship with food and understanding my own body and appreciating my own body. Yeah, I'd love if you could expand a little bit more, you know, for you as a young woman in college, what mm -hmm. were some of the common themes or kind of narratives, I guess, that you really hooked on to? Because I'm guessing you were still active through college, mm -hmm. through still really active, but then also, like you said, the environment changed a lot. Yeah, so I think part of what, you know, and this is kind of a common theme for me is, uh, as someone who's very high achiever and, you know, very hardworking and, is engaged in a lot of high stress uh, stakes, especially academically. Sometimes things feel very stressful and sometimes out of control. And I learned pretty quickly that food and exercise were the things that I had control over. And so I leveraged those things in order to control my, my own little world. <laughs> and in some healthy ways, use them to uh, mitigate stress. And, you know, that's, that can be a good, healthy thing. But I think it also, I also saw uh, people taking things to extremes with exercise and diet. And so all of a sudden in college, I saw other women with excessive exercise and kind of bizarre eating patterns. And because I 
and I don't think I could have articulated it then, but I can say now that that was something I had control over was uh, diet and exercise. And so I really kind of latched onto that. And again, that kind of, kind of comes into play again later, earlier in my career. So yeah, stayed very active in, in college, lots of running because that's an easy thing to do. Just run out the door. Yeah. Accessible, <laughs> no matter run. where you are, no matter yep. what time of day. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I love that you said you saw other women who were also over exercising, you know, because part of my story I can relate to that as well. It's is so normalized. So mm-hmm. normalized in that setting. So I'm curious, especially as a med student, right? Because you were in school much longer than maybe a lot of our listeners, you know, did the stress level change? Did you just looking back where you like, I just functioned at a nine out of 10 stress. And that was just looking back, like, I don't know, it's just what I did. Or I mean, yeah. how, how were you able to hold on to that routine, I guess, through school? Yeah. So this is where I think it gets a little complicated. This is so good to be like reflective about this. Cause I'm thinking of things and putting some pieces together now that I've never even put together. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I, I'm going to go like a little bit tangential here, but one of the things about my growing up was I, I come from a very conservative religious background and there's an expectation you get married and start a family young and that's what you do. And so I think that in college, there's also this like parallel pressure to like look good and attract a spouse. And so there's this, like, not only am I using this tool of control over my own diet and exercise, but my goal is to gain attention from Mm -hmm. a man who I'll eventually marry. Mm -hmm. And coming from the religious background where I did, that was expected young. Like, that's what you do. You go to college, you get married, you start a family. And so they say your MRS degree, right? S degree. That's right. (laughs) That's right. So, and I did, I got married when I was 21 and I think that all of that plays into, you know, how I leveraged control over my body to fulfill the expectations that were put on me as an early teenager. And then throughout medical school, yeah, again, super high stress. And I think then I started to to derail from some of my very restrictive and deliberate eating patterns. And then that in and of itself became very stressful because I had a hard time building in exercise, controlling what I am able to eat when I'm studying late or otherwise not at home. And then the fact that I was losing control of that piece of my life, then that felt stressful. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And then I ended up having my first baby right before med school. And so as Lots of moms will know that 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 does a whole nother set of things to your body, you know, to to be a mom. So How, yeah, walk us through like that next you know next season of life, like becoming mm-hmm. a mom. I imagine your first job was probably within that time frame as well. Like that's a that's mm-hmm. like you said a whole nother set of pressures. This pressure on new moms to to get their body back to you know do all these things. What was that experience like for you? Yeah. So, um, after I had my first son, um, it was right before I went to medical school and I felt like I had the capacity to kind of regain a little bit of the, you know, exercise diet and have some control. But then I went in in medical school, then I had my, um, second child, my daughter, and then that became really tough to be a medical student and have two kids, two little kids and trying to study and get through med school. 
And so I think during that time, I really kind of pulled back from trying to have so much control over diet and exercise. I was still aware and conscious about things, but not nearly as, as much as I was later. Mm -hmm. Then in residency, um, I gained a significant amount of weight. I mean, I was working 80 to hundred hours a week. Um, I ended up having my last two children during residency. So gained a lot of weight with pregnancy. And then I think by the end of residency, my relationship with my body was, I, I, I just did not like my body. Mm-hmm. I'd had four children. I was super tired, stressed, working a lot. And then I left for my fellowship training. And then that's when things changed again with my relationship with food. Can I, can I pause you there? Can you explain to our listeners just a little bit like the difference between residency and fellowship and kind of that? Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. think people understand <laughs> like what that actually means for your life, like your day to day and how yeah. big of a commitment and pressure and just a lot to, a lot to handle as yeah. a human, let alone okay. a mom of four. Great. Okay. Great point. So let me just like recap what that means. So I did my undergraduate degree and then there's four years of medical school. The first two years are basically sitting in a classroom. The second two years are kind of observational in the hospitals and in clinics. So a little bit more active and with patients Then I did a surgical residency. So that's five years of extra training. Um, not all residencies are five years, but mine was five years. Um, and during those five years, I worked about 80 to hundred hours a week for those five years. That's what residents do. And then I did subspecialty training and that's called a fellowship. And that's where I became a trauma surgeon. That, um, in, so I got additional training besides my general surgery training. And that was a one-year fellowship. So that means four years of college, four years of medical school, and then six years of subspecialty training. And so some, a psychological piece of that, that I think plays into my relationship with food and how I see myself is that we say sometimes in medicine that we have like a prolonged adolescence because we are in training until we're 30, 31, 32 years old. And by then my friends who I'd gone to college with, they were 10 years into their first job. Mm. They were talking about 401ks and I'm talking about looking for my first job. So there's also, I think something about that, about my self-respect and the way that I view myself as an adult when I'm in, tra- in school and in training for a decade past my age-matched peers. Mm. That's such a good point. And you bring up such a common theme, a common thread, I think, for so many women's stories is that comparison. Yes. That comparison in our bodies, yes. that comparison in where we're supposed to be in life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so walk yes. us through, yeah, walk us through like that next Next chapter, next phase. Next chapter. So the big turning point for me was the stress of my fellowship here. So I did my surgical training in Chicago, and then um, I just I ended up in Memphis, Tennessee, for my one year fellowship training. And my husband and I looked at each other and went, "Are we really going to move our family from Chicago to Memphis for one year? Pull our kids out of school? My husband would quit his job, lose money on the sale of our house, like." is this really wise for 12 months? And so at that time, the baby was nine months old. So I stopped nursing the baby and I went to Memphis by myself for a year and left my husband and kids at home with um, his sister moved in to help. And then we had a nanny. And so that was a huge turning point for me in my capacity to all of a sudden pay attention to my body and eating again. And so in Memphis, when I had time 
And um, I feel like we should air quotes time because it's like, yes, compared to the the average person listening, they're probably like, wait, didn't you just say you're working 80, hundred hour weeks? And you're like, I had actual somewhat wiggle room. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So, but I think that that year that I was, I was alone and that was the year that I really dug back into, to running and uh, watching, you know, my diet and, and having more control over my diet, um, and that's when some of the very restrictive eating patterns really took hold and like really created rules for myself mm. about eating. And then that too, I think, was also mitigating stress and also going at the end of this year, I got to get a job. Like I need to be on my A game, and I got to get my first big kid job. And um, so I think that there was. So kind of subconscious thread about really digging in and looking good and feeling ready to get that first job. I think it's so important that you mentioned that, that a lot of that is subconscious, but sometimes we think, yeah, being on our, it sounds like there were probably positive benefits, right? To getting mm-hmm. back into running, looking at what you're eating. But like you mentioned, it's like, what was the subconscious driver? It sounds like a part of it was like, I need to look a certain way in order to yes. achieve X, Y, Z. Yes. Yeah, absolutely true. So after my year in Memphis, I took my first, I got my first job in Columbus, Ohio, a great job, a really great job. Very, very grateful for my time there. And I think probably about two years into that job, same kind of thing. It's it's stressful, you know, busy, very stressful working long hours, high stakes, you know, work and trauma and critical care. And I didn't, and I know Katie, I've talked to you about this in the past, but I didn't know to use the word burnout when I was there, but that's totally what I was feeling about three, four years into my first job. And I think, again, my version of control, my version of you know moving past that stressful or hard time was, well, there's a lot of things I can't control, but I can control the number of minutes a day I exercise and every bit of food I put into my mouth. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah. What was, what did burnout look like for you? Like, how did that show up in how you felt in your behaviors? What did that look like? Yeah. For me, burnout felt like fatigue. It felt like disengagement, like not being motivated and interested in, and engaged in the work that I was doing. It felt like interpersonal stress, stress with my, my marriage and some friends, just like not being present in those relationships. And then it just kind of felt like sort of chaos. And like, I just didn't have control over, you know, my career, but mostly I would say just kind of like not being interested and engaged in the work that I was doing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's such, that's such a, uh, like red flag, but I think when you're in it, when you're in it, it's, it's so hard to recognize. And like you said, food and fitness, it's it's a comfort thing. It's a control. It's a, it's a, it's a way of coping. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So when did you, yeah, it sounds like, were you aware of it that time or kind of what was that next Mm -hmm. turning point or did you just kind of power through? Yeah. So I think I I will tell you, thankfully I had a couple of really good friends who, you know, during that time when they could, they could see it in me more than I could see it. You know, a couple of my friends reached out to me and were like, Jen, you just don't seem like yourself. And are you okay? And I was able to get um, some counseling and, and kind of like work through like, okay, 
you know, I need to make some, put some boundaries around my work. I need to put, um, you know, my relationships first and definitely, you know, got myself into a healthier place. But again, I think I turned to the food to feel like something that I, I could control. And I think that what I leaned into was, well, if I can just be more disciplined and if I can just follow my own rules, then I'll feel better about things. And so this is, that's really the high achiever that like checkbox, like, let me just figure it out myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Like, you know, I can figure this out. I don't need any help. I got this. I can figure this out. If I can just follow my own plan, follow my own rules, that'll make me satisfied and I'll be, everything will be fine. Um, Touching on that mental health, you know, I'm curious with, you working such a, you know, a high stress job, medical professionals in general, gosh, I mean, I feel like we could do a whole other episode talking about the past year, but how, how were you able to handle, you know, separating like the trauma? I mean, you're a trauma surgeon, so there is trauma, right? Like you see a lot, you experience a lot. How were you able to handle that? You know, emotionally, do you get training on that? Like, like, did you ever see that bleeding into your life and that, especially that stage? Yeah, this is such a great question. I'm so glad you asked this because I mean, as we know, all of these things work together, right? So thankfully I had a really, really great counselor who helped me specifically kind of process through. And so what she helped me think through is she had me write down the names of the patients that like really were just tough cases and that I struggled with. And then she kind of helped me process through. She's like, we have to grieve the things that that didn't go the way that we had hoped. And so she kind of helped me move through the process of grief. And I'm not talking about patients that died. A, a, a few of them did. A couple of them had great outcomes. Mm. And, you know, myself and my team just like poured into these patients and they did great, but they still just really pierce your soul. They're just tough cases. And so she really helped me understand that like, even with those things, even those cases that are wins, you have to grieve the process of um, that was hard or I did my very best. And she really helped me kind of move through that, that process, which was really powerful. And I think that that, that was monumental in helping me kind of move through some of that burnout. Thank you for sharing that. And what an aha moment to recognize that Mm -hmm. we can, and we should grieve things that don't always have a negative outcome. Yeah. Yeah. The things that are just really hard, like sometimes things turn out fine in the end, that doesn't mean they weren't hard. And, you know, now I know to use the term post-traumatic growth, which is something I've read about in the last couple of months. Wait, tell me more. I've never heard of this and I'm intrigued. Oh, okay. Post-traumatic growth is, this is a really powerful concept that I've learned about in the last couple of months uh, or last year or so that there is a psychological premise that if we don't ever have trauma in our lives, there is an opportunity for growth that we will never experience. And that there is some research and data that shows that people who go through a trauma are actually stronger, more resilient, healthier people on the back end than those who never do. And that there is a a psychological, emotional growth that comes through working through a traumatic experience, whatever that experience is. Um, and so they've done some of this research, especially with like law enforcement uh, folks who've seen, you know, just horrific things that like first responders, um, some in medicine, 
you know, people who've survived war and all kinds of things that there is, it's such an inspiring concept that we shouldn't fear that trauma and that working through the trauma actually makes us stronger and better on the back end. Yeah. Really powerful stuff. That gives me goosebumps. That's so interesting. I want to repeat what you just said. We shouldn't fear trauma because I think a lot of the fear for it is we've experienced it and then it's, I'm going to put in a box and I'm not going to deal with it, or I'm not going to let it air quotes, not let it affect any other areas of my life. Yeah. Yes. But we're actually doing, it sounds like what you're saying that we're doing a disservice to ourselves by not dealing with it, by not processing it. That's right. And we're all going to experience some kind of trauma in our lives, you know, and another concept that's really powerful to me is uh, years and years ago, a friend taught me to never compare my worst day to someone else's worst day. So like his worst day was dealing with liver cancer. My worst day might be, I got in a fender bender car accident, but it, he made a point of saying like, we should never compare each other's trauma because if it's traumatic to you, it's traumatic to you, period. And so I just think that's a really powerful and important concept. And what that does though, is helps me understand that um, we're all going to have trauma no matter what it looks like, but to not just fear that and to recognize there's a process by which I can be stronger on the other end of that. And when it comes, I'll deal with it and I can get through it and uh, I'll be stronger for it. Mm, that's so powerful. Another piece mm -hmm. that you made me think of too is that I think many times we're taught that, you know, we set yes, boundaries, separate work and life. But I mean, you obviously I'm I'm sure feel this in the healthcare field and I, I as well, yeah. but I think for all of us, it's our life. Like it, at some yep. point there there is this overlap and we have to figure out and understand how it all integrates, how it all impacts, you know, one, one or another. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think is sometimes women struggle with this, especially because we tend to be very holistic thinkers and, you know, women generally have a little bit more trouble isolating things and events. And we, we do let everything bleed together. And so I've always struggled with that term work-life balance it's just hard for me to think about that because in my mind, then that means one thing is winning and one thing is losing. And so, yeah, I think you're right. Like we struggle with that idea. And so it's all just life. It's all just, you know, I like to use the everything. word, I like to use the word work-life integration because they are yes. like integrated in a sense. So, okay, let's go sure. back to your story. So you, you had some good friends, you reached out for help. What were some of the rules that you had, um, you know, or especially maybe that you came through that prompted you, or let's fast forward a little bit, you know, what prompted you to reach out to work with a dietitian? Where did, what was that line for you that went, hold on, hold on. I got to figure this out. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll kind of answer this in two parts. So I'll be very, very granular and specific about like the rules that I created for myself. So I, once I started feeling like I can control this and I started doing a lot of reading, which is good and bad, right? <laughs> so <laughs> you give yourself lots of bad uh, information depending on the sources. So I created very strict rules for myself about cutting out all sugar. That's probably largely, by and large, not a bad thing to cut out, you know, a lot of refined sugar, but cut out basically all sugar, cut out pretty much all uh, refined grains or uh, like white flour. So I've basically allowed myself to eat lean meat, 
vegetables, fruit, and a couple of whole grains. That was it. And everything else I told myself was completely taboo. Dessert, you know, any kind of packaged or processed food. And on the whole, yeah, it's true. Like, you know, some choices are quote healthier than others, but I had told myself never going to eat that wrong, bad. And so I associated any outside of those rules for myself with guilt and um, failure because I had broken my own rules. So I, I mean, I really maintained that for several years, um, drops to a pretty unhealthy weight. I remember talking to you about that. Like years ago, I dropped to a BMI of about 18, which is definitely unhealthy. Realized again with some friends saying like, you're off the rails, Jen, you got to be healthy, put back a little bit of weight. And then ultimately after a couple of years, I just kind of felt like my weight had gone back up again again, through a really stressful time in life. And and that's kind of when I reached out to you, Katie, when I was like, I just feel like I'm not in control here. And I think what I wanted was to gain control. (laughs) What did you, what did you come to me for? And what did you end up getting? Oops. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, this is the, this is the beauty of it. So I came to you thinking, help me recreate the rules. Mm -hmm. Tell me what I'm allowed to do and not allowed to do. And after the first time we met, it was so clear to me that your philosophy was, no, 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 no. This is not about this, the rules that I'm going to give you. This is about you listening to your body and, and processing through in a healthy, safe, psychological way, how we're going to get you healthy again. And I just remember the first time we met you, I just felt like, oh my God, she's like a dietitian and a therapist. And she just really <laughs> helped me understand that this is not a rules-based thing. This is Jen's brain has to be engaged in being healthy. That was a massive aha moment for us. I want people listening though to recognize that like you're intelligent. Like you did the research. Like you <laughs> you, you are able to sift through, you know, credible and uncredible s- sources, yet at the same time, yeah. it's still I don't think anybody's immune to it. We still can mm-hmm. create this narrative, we can create this rigidity around mm-hmm. it based on our own experience, our own history with food and just kind of where we're at. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And again, you know, the external drivers that what we see on social media, what we see, you know, just all around us as, you know, I wanted to project this image. I mean, like I'm a professional, I have four kids, I'm married, I have this great job. Like I have to project this image that is perfect. Mm-hmm. And that I felt like I didn't have the perfect body. And, um, so it's like, I wanted to fix that piece of my, my life too. Um, which is really where that kind of like rules-based thinking came into play. What were some of the most challenging things? I want to brag on you for a second because I hate to use the word progress, but like for this pro this process looks different for everybody, right? Based on mm-hmm. their experience, their open-mindedness. But I think you really came in with an open mind and and you had light bulb moments fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Were there points through the process that you felt really challenged and really like mm-hmm. resistance with yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think that there were times when, you know, you challenged me to like, break my own rules. And then, but the follow-up was, and then tell me how you feel. And so I think that, I mean, I'm a pretty, you know, emotional, you know, person and, you know, I was pretty quick to put myself in counseling. I'm very open to that kind of thing. But somehow when it came to 
eating and exercise, like I wasn't willing to listen to my own body and to correlate eating and emotion. And like, so when you challenged me to like, you know, keep track of how you feel before you eat, when you're eating, after you eat, that was a major breakthrough for me because it really felt authentic to me because I'm so emotional and, you know, kind of passionate and empathic and I'm a writer. And so like so much of me is this like kind of emotion feeling driven person. And, but I'd never let that connect with the way that I eat. And so you, there was a big aha when you challenged me to like, tell me how you feel after you ate something or didn't eat something. And that, that just like, kind of like made that click in me like, oh, this is the piece of my life that I'm not allowing my feelings. I'm making it all in my head instead of how I feel. And that was a, a big aha for me. And so much of that, I think, is a protection thing. And and in a sense, Mm -hmm. you know, what I always encourage clients to think about is like, as much as we don't like looking at the messy part of how we felt around food, taking a moment Mm -hmm. to almost honor that and be grateful because it's like, wow, that actually helped me work through a lot of things. And especially when we're super high stressed, you know, our nervous system is like on high alert and, you know, we, we don't want to feel those feelings of hunger or we don't have time to feel hunger. Right. So can you, can you talk about kind of, did it feel inconvenient or how did that feel as you were paying attention to those feelings? Yeah, no, it was really, um, obviously it was really empowering to like, think about and let myself feel all of those feelings around food. And so I can tend to be a stress eater, especially like, you know, in the middle of the night when I'm up to do a case and, you know, it's a big case, I like grab, you know, a a snack or whatever of whatever it is that's laying around. And so to really pay attention about what emotion or what event or what stress is happening or what is happening that I'm eating. And then how did I feel afterwards was really, really key to me. And, and even, you know, and maybe you'll get to this, but you really helped me break down like separating guilt from eating. It's like, it's just a feeling you felt full. You felt, you know, you didn't feel full. You felt tired. You felt like, but to separate out guilt about eating was a huge, a huge moment for me. Uh, So huge. And I think when you're in it, it feels like I'm never not going to feel guilty. Or when when you have those rules that are so rigid, it almost feels like, like I never not going to have this feeling. Well, do you remember when that like moment was and were you like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really kind of do. Um, probably not super specifically, but I do remember, you know, having the thought that like, you know, I like overeaten at a, a big meal and, you know, that my default would be like, oh my God, I feel so guilty. And I, could, you know, I remember the breakthrough was you helping me understand it's one meal and it's like, you're fine. You're fine. And like, we're moving on. um, Yeah. We're moving on. Yeah. And, you know, I also remember thinking, yes, but that meal was like with family and it was a big, you know, social event. And, you know, so to kind of separate out like that instant flip the switch of feeling guilty about overeating, but just saying, yes, but in the grand scheme of things, like it's okay. And, you know, it's one meal. And if you didn't feel good about, you know, how you managed what you were eating, then, do it differently tomorrow. Recognize the feeling that you felt, you know, just pay attention to your body while you're, while you're eating or before you're eating or after you're eating, but to not just associate one-to-one. I had a big meal. Now I feel guilty 
or I ate something I wasn't planning to eat. Now I feel guilty. You know, so that definitely was a huge like growing process. And I for sure carried that with me through today. Like, yeah, to just have a better balance. Taking back the power. So let's talk about that because it's been, oh my gosh, over a year since we've, we've worked together. So how has your journey with food and fitness, you know, kind of influenced you, especially I imagine a little bit more stress over the past year in your line of work. You know, how, yes. is, how has it influenced you to, to get to where you are today? Yeah. So I think what I've really learned by, you know, doing intuitive eating and just like listening to my body about like what I'm eating is to, I kind of, I still try to eat very healthy. I quite have soft rules now, I would say like trying to really focus on my fruits and vegetables and, you know, minimal sugar. And, you know, for the day to day, I do have my kind of like soft rules, I would say. But I also have learned and gained the freedom to ask myself before an atypical meal or going out or traveling or with family or whatever, okay, I know I'm going to eat something that I don't usually eat and I'm going to eat until I'm satisfied. And then when I'm full, just going to stop eating that and everybody's going to get dessert. And so I think I'll have a small dessert. That sounds good. And then realize and like, I'm not eating like this every day and it's, it's good. It's fine. And I, I've given myself permission on the front end to say like, yeah, this is, this is my plan. I'm going to eat healthy, but I'm going to, you know, enjoy this meal with my family. And it's more than just the food that I'm consuming. It's about the process and about the environment, the community. And then that's fine. Not every single day has to be like this because I think I used to feel like once I had one quote, broken the rules that like every, all was lost and I just derailed. And I think what I've really learned is there is, there are boundaries or not boundaries, but like a balance of, you know, yeah, sure. There's going to be times when I'm traveling, I'm on vacation. It's, you know, and I'm not going to let my quote rules dictate my, my life and my fun with my family. Yeah. Dictate my fun. What a, what a good way to put yeah. it because you yeah. know, it sounds like you're, it sounds like you're, you're able to be a lot more intentional, purposeful, yes. but but also more compassionate. It sounds like being able to kind of coach yourself through those moments that in the past, it was like either no thought process at all, or it was kind of not knowing how to handle that feeling after, but being able to go, hold on, what am I feeling? How do I want to feel? What else is going on other than the plate in front of me? Yes, exactly. And I think you hit the, hit the nail on the head, you know, like kind of that self-compassion of going like, yeah, it's fine. Give yourself grace. And, you know, this is not the, the biggest issue in your life right now is what you had for dinner. <laughs> Sound, sounds so simple, but in the moment definitely feels overwhelming. Yeah. How has this influenced like your family or has it right? Mm-hmm. Cause I, I remember when we worked together, there were times where you were like, well, my family would eat this. And sometimes I would eat that. Have, have you allowed for more integrate integration? How has that looked? Yeah, for sure. I think I've definitely allowed more integration personally um, with my family and kind of opening my mind to not being so rigid for myself. Um, I've never cast my rules onto my family um, per se. I shouldn't say that. That's not true. To some degree I have um, in the past, um, less so now, you know, in kind of like, you know, putting my rules on, on other people. But definitely more open to, like you said, integration of, you know, kind of what the, what the family wants. And and my family will tell you, especially my extended family that 
I used to just be so prescriptive about what I would or would not eat. And it was a burden to them, you know, like, okay, well, Jen's going to be here at dinner. What, what will she eat or not eat? And we'll have to make sure that we have, you know, the things that she will eat. And then, um, so I can see in retrospect that my desire to have such control over my own like diet and exercise was actually a burden to my family and thinking about like, well, is this going to upset Jen? And does she, will she eat this? And if not, then what, what can we have for her? And uh, much of that is, has pretty much dissolved. So uh, to a large part um, by me just being more self-compassionate and having um, just a better overall perspective about my relationship with food. Yeah. Recognizing like if you show up and there's foods that you wouldn't normally eat or choose that, like it's not a big deal or I'm going to eat them or I'm not either way, it, it, whatever. Right. Right. And oftentimes for me, what it looks like is just having a little bit smaller portion or just selecting from, from what's available and, and thinking, okay, this isn't typically what I would eat, but of all of these things, I'm going to pick these couple of things and this seems pretty reasonable. And that has been a really great compromise for me. What advice would you have for somebody who's on the fence with this approach or with intuitive eating or feeling really controlled around food? Um, I would say, give yourself time, Mm -hmm. give yourself grace. There's not, it's a process. It's not a a flip the switch. It took me weeks and months to feel like I made progress with this. But in the end, I think it really was not only good for me um, and my, my own body and my own uh, mental health, but it's been good for my family and my friends to see me be in a healthier place. And the byproduct is healthier relationships, healthier friendships, and just being in a better place globally, not just with diet and exercise. Uh, you give me goosebumps. Yes. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it impacts whether we see it or not. It does impact how we show up, how we feel about ourselves. Yeah. And then in turn, how we, how we feel with others. Yep. For sure. Jen, thank you so much for yes. sharing your story. You just, it, it this makes me so happy just to see, Yay. just to kind of reflect on like where you've been, where you are. And, you know, it's clear that you're still going places, you know, you're, you're doing big things. So especially cause it's Friday, I want to hear what is the best thing that's happened to you this week? Oh, wow. Probably just reconnecting with some old friends and uh, I've had a couple of really great conversations with a couple of couple of us are, you know, looking at kind of some career changes and, um, there's just been some really rich conversations with friends who I've known for a long time, know, and trust and love and just maintaining those long-term friendships has just been for sure the best part of this week. Uh, the friends that are just, it's been too long, but then no time at all that you can just pick back up. Those are the best. That's right. That's right. If our listeners want to connect with you, are you on social media? Where's the best place that you hang out? Yeah, I am on social media. I'm on Twitter at Trauma Mom 4. And that's probably the best place to connect for me, Trauma Mom, and then the number four. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you, Katie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share it with a friend. You can subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Fit Friends Happy Hour. Talk to you next time.